This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. As of right now, we are at war. How desperate You call on such lost creatures to defend you. How desperate am I? You threaten my world with war. You steal a force you can't hope to control. You talk about peace and you kill because it's fun. You have made me very you might not be glad that you did. There was an idea to bring together a group of remarkable people to see if they could become something more. Welcome to Fury's Finest, a podcast and resource about a discussion of Marvel Crisis Protocol and the Marvel Universe. And my name is Jesse Aiken, and I am joined, as I am every episode, by Chris Bruffett. How are you doing today, Chris? Jesse, if I were doing any better, I just couldn't stand it. One darn bit. I would agree with you right now. We are on Marvel and Marvel Crisis Protocol High. It's kind of crazy. Look, you and I don't have a lot of time. Right. We spent what we would normally have been halfway through an episode today, Mm -hmm. you know, just talking before the podcast, which was awesome. And I loved it. We don't get to do it enough. But I think that's characteristic of how just hyped and jacked we are. That's right, Chris, because we saw the Black Widow movie and then we also finished Loki season one. What if is coming soon on Disney Plus? And then on top of all that, out of nowhere, Atomic Mass Games gave us a new giant preview video. All the mystics and mages and wizards and sorcerers all coming to Marvel Christ Protocol. That's a lot to take in, Chris. I'm still on the high of that Loki Gator might be my new favorite character. <laughs> That's a high for me. I have just been so absorbed in Loki season one and to a lesser extent Black Widow. But so there's just not much of my brain left to inhabit. So this teaser video just got in there and made more space because goodness gracious, the sculpts are amazing. They did it. We all wanted it. We all thought it would be the Sentinel at first, but they did the giant size model. Oh my goodness. Atomic Mass proved our faith in them correct by going with the Stormami model. Just awesome. I'm so excited about this. Our third alternate version character with uh, Doctor Strange. I'm assuming that this will be Doctor Strange Sorcerer Supreme. It would also be great if they were interchangeable on affiliations as well. That'd be pretty neat, right? Like if this Strange was affiliated with different teams or similar teams or who knows, you know, we've seen what they've done with Peter Parker thus far. So interesting going forward, but I got to talk about Dormammu before we talk about anything else, Chris, because this is my number one of this set. I was not ready to get a model bigger than Hulk and Thanos, but here he is. And you know, what's funny is like, this is Dormammu's humanoid form. You know, this is when Dormammu comes down to the earth to actually fight. Obviously, Dormammu is an ancient old one, bigger than, you know, nebulas and all these things in his actual semi form. But, you know, this is like him coming down to fight. Man, that sculpt. He's on a new sized base. I don't know if it's the large size base that's just a different version or it's a actually larger than large size base, but there he is. It's got like runes on it and stuff. And then it fits inside of something similar to the Thanos throne, but even prettier in a different way. It's a cosmic portal that he's coming through to come down to the earth and defeat his enemies. And then, Chris, it comes with two pieces of dark dimension terrain. And it comes with a ultimate encounter where you can fight Dormammu, just like the Thanos ultimate encounter. So obviously the smallest part of this is that we're getting Dormammu brought into the normal game and we don't know his threat level yet. And it's probably high because they said it's going to be high on the streams, but we get all that other stuff too. 
all I want to do is talk about his potential threat level for the next hour. But we cannot do any of that because we have to talk about what my favorite and most look forward to model out of that set is. And it is 100% Dr. Voodoo. Oh, yeah. Man, his sculpt. That sculpt is so rad. And as a matter of fact, before we were talking, and I was thinking, I don't necessarily need to, you know, buy these models, maybe. Right. I was thinking the same thing. Yeah. And then Jesse and I watched the video together. Again. At the same time. Not for the first time, I assure you. And, you know, that model just struck me. It hit different that time, and it's just, it's gorgeous. Oh, all these models, Chris, are just next level. The Dormammu is personally my favorite. Like you said with Dr. Voodoo, he is kind of levitating on smoke around this ritual pyre with skulls, with candles in them. Oh, my goodness. But then also, he comes with Hood, and Hood has his possessed form as well. And I'm hoping that now that Hood has a transformation, like a Ant-Man level transformation, where, you know, when you buy that Ant-Man and Wasp box, not only do you get Ant-Man and Wasp added to your games, but you get four models. And that's a cool thing that did with Hood in this box, too. Come on. Come on. It's great. Now, Doctor Strange, this newer model is definitely an older Strange, and he's coming out of, looks like the Dark Dimension. So, once yes, again, sir. they're just knocking these models out of the park. They didn't have to have Strange coming out of the Dark Dimension, and they actually show the elements of the Dark Dimension under his feet. Also, Clea comes with him. I'm sure she's going to be a great, another great mage character. The last box is Mordo and the Ancient One, and it seems like they're leaning a little bit more into the MCU vibe for these characters in particular, especially Mordo. And they look great, too. Mordo is actually like ascending several like Doctor Strange type portal runes and then the ancient one just looks like the ancient one these are probably also chris going to be crazy characters in the game i think we can assume that right because we're getting a purely mystic wave and that's something the game needs a nice injection of mystic abilities mystic superpowers high mystic defense probably one can hope but like this is going to shake up the meta i'm assuming if anything there's no way it doesn't but You know, you talking about that just reminded me of when the game started and when we were even beginning to like formulate this podcast. This is kind of the day we were waiting for when there are just a ton of factions, a ton of characters. You could legitimately play in tournaments and just bring the same 10 characters and never buy another one. Oh, it's here. It's definitely here right now. You can roll with them for your whole life. You can switch it up start working on others. It is incredible the place we're at in this game. You're absolutely right, Chris. Like speaking of just getting into the game and all these new affiliations, this wave and the wave that's actually coming right before it are adding three new affiliations to the game. So the first one is the Dark Dimension, that's Dormammu's affiliation. The second one is the Mystic affiliation led by the Ancient One. And then we don't know who the leader is, But the last box, we haven't mentioned today because it's not actually in a trailer, but the last box kind of of this wave, Chris, is Blade and Moon Knight, and we're getting the Midnight Suns affiliation added to the game. We don't know who the leader is, but we know the Midnight Suns affiliation is being added to the game. So that's just three new affiliations. Bam, right there, just straight up. And they're pretty like different ones too, right? Like the Dark Dimension, the Mystics fighting with the Sorcerer Supreme, and then the Midnight Suns. Like these are all very different. One can hope. They should be very different. The Midnight Suns is going to share some oh, quite a few wait. members with the Defenders, I would guess. But yeah, similar to an Avengers A Force sort of thing, or <laughs> right thematically. But yeah, man, it's it's kind of what I was talking about in the sense that hopefully if the game design goes well and the balancing is right, you might not see a tournament with the same, you know, group of affiliations just ever. I, I know that's not going to happen. There's always going to be... There's always going to be somebody playing Wakanda and just for some reason winning. You know, and that's fine. That's what I love. You could have invested in Wakanda off the hype of 100%. the Black Panther movie and still be viable. I Absolutely. love that about this game. Well, and Chris, to further your statements, Atomic Mass has already said that Dormammu is going to be the highest threat character that's been added to MCP. I know he costs more because he comes with terrain and he's a huge model, but... Stick with me here. If you buy Dormammu, you only need nine more models. And I'm assuming since his threat is higher, you see what I'm saying? Like you just need less models in general. And this is for the procrastinator players out there. 
You don't have to paint that many models, I'm assuming. If he's really high threat, like a Thanos, you don't have to paint as many models to go with him, you know? And then you just play Dormammu all the time. And that's probably going to be a blast. And Chris, I'm an elite faction type player most of the time, even though you know I like to do weird stuff like swarms and stuff too. But I think Dormammu might be the new elite faction. He might even usurp the Inhumans and like Cable being five threat and the She-Hulk being six threat. If he's more expensive than those characters, he is the new elite faction in the game. And that means less models, and that means you can't make mistakes. But if you play it right, it's probably going to go well for you, hopefully. We talk about it often with this game, but that model is going to bring people to the table, man. Yeah, Thanos already does, right? And so does Hulk. Oh, I think any of these models at this point, there's only a few that really aren't oh, really just great. And if you've got a good paint job on them, man, like people are going to be there. But I'm just saying like how the human eye works. If Dormammu's bigger than Hulk and Thanos, which they showed him on a stream, he's dramatically bigger than those characters. They're just going to see him from a distance and be like, what is happening yeah. over there? Is this like a giant mech in 40K? No, no, no. Exactly. No, no, no. This is Dormammu and he's come down to the earth to deal with people before he goes back up to his actual true form. And that portal, man, come on. I want to do that purple personally. Because I just, start to mention, we've got all the colors in the spectrum here. The fire looks good. I love the model. I'm I'm super excited for this whole wave. And I mean, I think I'll buy it eventually. I don't yeah. know when, but it's going to be really cool. And Chris, we didn't mention the last pack in this. There's the Sanctum Sanctorum building, which is, you know, another addition to the game where it's like, if you've just been buying the AMG terrain... Now you totally have enough to fill an entire board. Because if you buy this, you've got this, you've got the apartment building, you've got the Fisk construction yard, you've got the core set, you've got the New York City pack. This is enough to fill a board now. So like, not only is there enough models and affiliations, Chris, for you to play what you want, but I mean, even if you don't want to make your own terrain or buy weird terrain and kind of modify it for MCP and all this stuff, or print your own terrain, there's just terrain now that Atomic Mass makes enough to fill a board. And I think that's really neat too, because I mean, Dr. Strange's house is an iconic place, you know, right in the middle of Bleecker Street. Especially if you have done what I've recommended and read the Jason Aaron Dr. Strange run. Love that guy, Jason Aaron. That's good stuff. But Chris... Before we move on from this Mystic Wave, I do got to get your brief thoughts now that it's been fully announced and we've seen the pictures and everything. What do you think about the Blade and Moon Knight box that's coming out around the same time? I mean, that's like 10 out of 10 for you and I, right? Moon Knight number one just dropped. I have far too many copies to be... Thank you. (laughs) Well, it's it's not just you, it's me. But uh, yes, I'm very excited Of course, he's got a show coming on Disney Plus. So we're kind of giving a this Moon Knight revival, and I am just just tickled to death that this character is getting such shine right now, especially given, you know, his his deep affiliation with kind of mental health struggles. Absolutely. That's one of the most compelling parts of the character. Something just everybody needs to be okay with is talking about that kind of thing. And I think this character helps with that. I couldn't agree more, Chris. And let's also not forget that in Moon Knight's pack, we get Blade, arguably one of the best sculpts that are coming out soon. And that's saying a lot because all these sculpts are really amazing. But the Blade sculpt, man, and the way Blade's going to play, I have no idea. And I'm so excited to see it in the game. I just love this angle of Marvel. Oh, me too. And on a similarly uh, deep note on Blade, he kills vampires real good and me like. Very good. (laughs) It's a good assessment, Chris. Here's the crazy part, Chris. We're on Marvel high right now. We're on MCP high right now. You know, we've, we saw Black Widow. We finished Loki. No spoilers here until our next MCU episode. And we will give a spoiler warning then. And we're not even here to talk about the Mystic Wave and the Blade and Moon Knight Wave. We're returning this week to our street level series with arguably one of the most important characters at the street level in, in Marvel. That's Matt Murdock, Daredevil himself. This is a big episode and we're going to try to do our very best to make it concise and exciting, but there's a lot to say about Matt Murdock. There's a lot. There is a lot, but we're going to have a fun talk about him. But first, we got to take care of some business. Fury's Finest is supported by Discount Games Inc. Go to discountgamesinc.com for all your Marvel, Crisis Protocol, and miniature gaming needs. Yeah, once again, guys, we really promote Discount Games because they always have Marvel Crisis Protocol in stock at the lowest prices. One of my favorite things about their website, Chris, is if you go to Marvel Crisis Protocol on there, you can actually see the release dates and you can watch that Carnage release date get pushed back by a week, get pushed back by a week, get pushed back by a week. But it really does keep you 
in tune with when the models are coming out and it might gauge the way you spend your money in a more productive way. <laughs> you know what I mean? I think that's a great point. The fact that you add in, they have those, some of the lowest prices of anybody and they support the show. We can't recommend them enough, but most importantly, we've got to talk about our patrons today at patreon.com slash furious finest. Our patrons support furious finest at patreon.com slash furious finest. If you enjoy our show and would like to support us in our future endeavors, consider a monthly contribution. We thank all of our patrons for their support. This week, a very big, huge, mighty thank you to a very well-named person, Chris J. Thank you so much, man. Thank you, Chris. And of course, thank you to our Avenger producer, Zach Attack. But Chris, there's more. What? We have a second Avenger producer. First time it's happened in Fury's Finest history where we've had two Avengers producers at once. These people are making the show happen. And we have a new Avenger producer, and their name is Rusty. Rusty. So awesome. Thank you so much, man. You and Zach really make it happen. Thanks, guys, for your support. All right, Chris, we got to get over to Lore because there's so much we need to talk about. All right, Jesse, you're right. There is a ton to talk about, and we're going to start off like we always do. We're going to ask, who is Daredevil? Daredevil, Matt Murdock, he's one of these legacy characters that come up on the show. You know, so we're going to kind of take this a little bit uh, at a time and talk about the formation of the character we know today. Is kind of the the way we're going to go with this one. Right. Daredevil is a street-level character. He is the man without fear. Devil of Hell's Kitchen. The Devil of Hell's Kitchen. He's a lawyer and a street-level superhero, and he's blind. He's a busy guy. He was created by Stan Lee and artist Bill Everett, with an unspecified amount of input from Jack Kirby. Daredevil first appeared in Daredevil 1 in April of 1964. So, as I mentioned, he is blind, but he was not born blind. Of course, he was blinded in an auto accident while he leaped to save a blind person from getting hit by a truck, and the truck spilled some toxic chemicals, thus blinding poor young Matt Murdock. But with this came this heightened sense of smell, touch, taste, hearing, everything else was heightened, and it gave him this kind of radar-like vision. So he cannot see traditionally, but he does see. Instead of Spidey Sense, he has radar sense. He has his Daredevil radar sense. I think it is important to note he is not super-powered in the traditional sense. That's all it is, is it's his heightened senses. He does not have super strength, does not have any healing abilities or or anything like that. It, he is mostly a man. He is also highly, highly trained. He's a master of martial arts, having been trained by stick. And he is also very good at just uh, the American style boxing and just a ton of gymnastic capability. Of course, his signature weapon is his one-of-a-kind specially designed baton, which he created. It looks like a blind man's cane uh, while dressed in his civvies, but it is actually a multi-purpose weapon and tool that contains 30 feet of aircraft control cable connected to a case-hardened steel grappling hook. That's pretty heavy-duty, man. Yeah. So he can kind of Make it in two, use it to swing through the air off buildings, Spider-Man, Batman-esque, but not quite as good as those guys. So let's talk about his history. As I mentioned before, how he how he came about his powers, he was raised by his father, Batlin Jack Murdoch, who raised young Matt in Hell's Kitchen in Manhattan. Jack was a boxer, and after... Matt lost his eyesight, Jack went back into boxing. And this story has changed, and I think it's important to note that this story has changed with Daredevil pretty exceptional amount. At first, his dad is, you know, a, a really a really good person. Later on, you know, maybe he fell in with the wrong crowd. Always very loving and things like that. But Daredevil has been retconned quite a bit. And, you know, it makes sense. When he's introduced, he's wearing his his yellow and red kind of acrobatic gear. He's wisecracking. He's quipping. He's going after villains like the Owl, whom, I mean, 
when's the last time the owl was in anything meaningful? Right. His red costume was introduced in issue number seven, which is an interesting issue because he fights the Submariner, which is wild for Daredevil because, you know, the Submariner is just incredibly powerful. Um, And it is in the 60s here where we're going to see Matt slash Daredevil. He's going to go through, have some kind of goofy stuff happen, but it's where he's going to meet and develop his first kind of like long-term romance, and that's with Karen Page. And she'll end up resurfacing and playing a part throughout his story, though, in different capacities and playing different roles. Near the end of the 60s, where he is going to disclose his secret identity to Karen Page, and that kind of cements her as, you know, his Mary Jane. Yeah, I mean, I know Mary Jane wasn't the first Peter Parker love interest, but it's it's who you think of. Right. And, I mean, you know, maybe I prefer Elektra, but we'll get to that. Mm -hmm. So, the 70s are going to see Daredevil kind of on a more of the same kind of approach. Wisecracking, it's kind of a happy thing. He's going to move to San Francisco, date Black Widow, and kind of be a superhero team there for a while. Yeah, and him and Black Widow have off and on again relationship for some time. Yes, especially during this time period, though Matt never quite commits to Natasha, so she just kind of, you know, leaves. And, you know, good on her. Mm -hmm. But it is in the late 70s. Oh boy, that's where it happens. When writer at the time, Roger McKenzie, is going to take over the book. Halfway through his run, he's going to add penciler Frank Miller on issue 158. We've heard that name before. We have heard that name before. And this is when our Daredevil really comes into play. Eventually, Miller is going to take over the book entirely, and he's going to continue the path that Roger McKenzie started. And that is going to be a much darker character. So these stories are going to be much darker. And to start that, we're going to have Jack Murdoch reworked as a drunkard and abusive father. This is the Daredevil we get in the show. Right. It's kind of the canon modern day Daredevil, right? Yes. This is the Daredevil you think of. This is where he learned how to be so tough and never let him see him hurt. Along with that, we're going to get a reset on his villains. The owl. Sorry, Al. He's gone, man. We've got Kingpin now. Okay. Yeah, we do. As we've talked about before, a previously introduced bullseye who's going to really find his footing as a character in Marvel with this Miller run. We're also going to get the resurfacing of Karen Page. She's going to have had a very rough time Mm. and gone through some very adult experiences. This is also where you're going to get the hand. Love it. You're going to get Electra. It's just the best, man. Right. Miller is awesome. And of course, Jesse, how could we forget the introduction of the stick? That's right. This is where he's going to really hone those radar senses instead of just magically being good at it. Well, he was already a great boxer, right? And it was kind of his physical outlet, you know, really good boxer. And there's some tie with his dad's story there too, Chris. But then you bring stick in fully. You've already got a background in boxing, Daredevil, but now let's add all these multiple martial arts on top of it because I am the sensei for you. Stick's pretty rough on him too. I mean, no less abusive than Jack. Absolutely. It's not just the introduction of more adult subject matter. It's not just the introduction of newer, grimier characters and and things being a little bit more dirty. It's going to be just Daredevil himself is going to start morphing into more of the anti-hero that we know today. This is where he is going to almost murder Bullseye three times. He doesn't do it, though. He doesn't quite, but at one point he thinks he has. This is where we get what's going to lead into the next great Daredevil stories. Not to say that the stuff happening by by other like writers after Miller and things are bad. They're not. I don't know. It's just kind of not Chris Daredevil canon, I guess, is what okay. I'm trying to say. 
Well, Chris, and this canon you're talking about, I mean, what's another cool part that's going on during these storylines? We are getting the more anti-hero, darker Daredevil, though Matt is a very good light side type character. What's really interesting is we got the juxtaposition of his day-to-day life, where it's him, Karen Page, and Foggy Nelson, who at this point he's resolved his differences with Foggy. And they're fighting the good fight for the little guy. You know, They're fighting for lots of really dynamic things in the 70s and 80s, you know, there's a lot of interesting storylines with their lawyer careers. A lot of nonprofit drug legal clinic stuff. And then we've got subjects around feminism, animal rights, you know, people that are downtrodden in the New York neighborhoods that they're representing that no one else will represent. Even some criminals, Matt Murdock's representing in court. So there's a lot of interesting things going on in his day to day. And then he stays up all night. And is this character that we're talking about, too. So, like, there's a lot going on with his character. Exacerbating that, through his obsession with being Daredevil, his personal life is a wreck. Right. In a way that that Peter Parker's, I mean, often is, but never quite, it's never quite as dark. It's never like what Karen Page went through in Mm. Miller's run. Absolutely. You know, it. But following Miller, uh, Anne Nocenti is going to write Daredevil, and I'm ashamed to say this is a period of Daredevil I don't know a ton about, but I plan on reading her run soon. It does deal with a lot of really cool subject matter, uh, and Jesse touched on it just a second ago, as a matter of fact. So A lot of dynamic things for the 80s and 90s, which, you know, once again, Chris, with all the problems we have with sometimes old comics and things, problematic things, sometimes comics are doing so many dynamic things for the eras they're in prior to other art forms. And it it always surprises me sometimes. It really does in in a positive way. It's extremely dynamic. I mean, it's just so reliant on the creative team behind it. And, you know, we know what way creatives kind of tend to go, but- this is one of the reasons I love this character is because he's one of the characters that really ushers in this era in comic books and leads to kind of grittier things and getting away from the comic book code. So the next thing we've really got to touch on is going to happen in 93 and it's going to be Frank Miller returning to Daredevil and setting things back on his kind of path with Daredevil Man Without Fear, a five-issue miniseries written by Frank Miller, art by John Romita Jr. Y'all, you got to read it. <laughs> it's very cool. It goes into a little bit more of Daredevil's backstory and, and upbringing. Of course, the next time, you know, Daredevil's going to join the Marvel Knights line where filmmaker Kevin Smith's is going to write a little bit there. Joe Quesada's in there. You know, it's good. But then we get to Bendis and Maleev, some of my favorite art in the Marvel canon, and also bringing us into the 2010s. So the next thing we've really, really got to touch on, and I'm going to start kind of wrapping this up, and I'm going to give you some excellent reading recommendations that are going to be short enough that anyone can read them, but they'll give you an excellent idea of Daredevil, okay? But in 2001, you got... Daredevil Yellow, and this is just on the top. If you've only got a little bit of time to learn about Daredevil, this is it. Okay. Parents out there, this is for you. This is by the great Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale. Drawn by Tim Sale. Guys, that's the guy that did Batman the Animated Series. You know this. It is some of my favorite Daredevil art. It's going to be the yellow costume. So Loeb and Sale did four series. Spider-Man Blue, Hulk Gray, Daredevil Yellow, Captain America White. All cool. (laughs) But Daredevil Yellow is a must read. (laughs) It's an absolute must read. Just do it. Very good. So the last thing we're going to touch on here with regards to the formation of the characters we know it now is going to be the Bendis and Maleev run. Writer David Mack had brought Bendis in to help write a storyline earlier, and now Bendis is going to take over the book. And it's going to lead to... Another excellent, excellent run that is kind of, I think, uh, still kind of a formative Daredevil run. It's something I always think about when I think of Daredevil. The art is amazing. You're going to see Matt get married. The outing of Matt's secret identity as Daredevil. 
Kingpin's coming back. Spider-Man plays a role. All good things. Yeah, it's super cool, man. So, you know, that's going to bring us up to about where I like to leave off on these legacy characters to where we've talked about the people and how and why they kind of formed the character and what ideas they were going for, what that character kind of represents in the Marvel Universe. And, you know, we kind of want to summarize something we haven't talked about yet is Daredevil's just very clear connection with Catholicism. That's right. He has very strong faith. I think it's one of the most interesting parts of the character, Chris, because it makes this anti-hero thing a more compelling story because he's sometimes in direct opposition with his moral beliefs. There's a lot more nuance than that, but those are kind of the basis of the character. And you've already got this guy who's a humanitarian type lawyer. And then you've got this guy who's a anti-hero, super dark Spider-Man at nighttime. And then you add on top of that, that he's a, that he's a pretty devout Catholic and religious person that has faith, but also has doubt in God. And I think that's a really interesting part of the character and actually makes me believe in the character a lot more in some of his moral choices that he runs into, good and bad. That brings up an excellent point about this character. Daredevil is very conflicted. And I think he actually represents the struggle of being a superhero, especially as a non-powered individual. Yes. I mean, physical gifts, I guess. He's got sensory gifts. To me, that is kind of his whole character is about struggle with his identity. Is he Matt Murdock? Is he Daredevil? Right. Is he Catholic? Does he hate God for all the bad he sees? Mm-hmm. Does he want to make everything right because he has these beliefs, right? Yeah. But he can't do it all, right? He can't. And something we're dealing with now in this current run of Daredevil written by Chip Zdarsky is his involvement in the legal justice system. Right. You know, he's been involved in putting so many people in jail. He's not always been a prosecutor, but, you know, he's a prosecutor in, in this run And it really makes him question what he has done to people and how he hasn't reformed them at all. He's just, he's just punitively punished them because he gets punitively punished himself for something that you should read. It, I mean, it happens in issue one, so just read it, but it's excellent. Yeah, it's a compelling angle for him, obviously, because you're right. He has not been a prosecutor most of the time, but when he is, that is in direct conflict with his Catholic beliefs and also some of his superhero beliefs, the things that he tries to do on the street. Yeah, let's not mince words. Even when he's not a prosecutor, when he's Daredevil, he's beating up bad guys right. and leaving them for cops to put in prison. So even when he's a defense attorney and he's saving innocence, like even those that are guilty, that are getting their legal punishment, that that is the law is just, right? Right. You know, he's even questioning how he's harmed society in, in that role. And I just, it just goes back to just Daredevil being this character of conflict through trauma. And Miller planting a lot of these seeds, right? Exactly. And that's why I think it's so formative. And it, it goes on with, you know, when Daredevil renumbers and launches in Marvel Knights, mm-hmm. Bendis and Maleev crank it up a notch. Miller, you know, gets things going. Loeb throws his hat in there. It's it's just great. Just amazing writers. And there's other amazing writers that have written Daredevil that I'm less familiar with. So please don't take all of this as the gospel truth here, uh, pun intended. Absolutely. I mean, he is a real flawed person. So if anything, like he is one of the more accurate depictions of a semi-religious person on screen, but also like him being seriously flawed, Chris, which is what makes him so compelling to me. And there's so much conflict with his past, with his dad, with also just his day to day, like you said, being in the courtroom, being on the streets, then being in church as a civilian. You know, there's all these things that he's doing at once. And then also, like you said, sometimes his friendships and family relationships are in shambles, which is obviously not congruent with his beliefs as as well. And he's trying to like juggle all this, similar to Peter Parker, but amped up so much, right? And he wants to do it all and he can't because he's a flawed person, but also he's just not a super being. He's just an average man. And this is why I think he's one of the most realized and real characters in all of Marvel. And like you said, it kind of subverts him from the superhero level. He just happens to be a street level person in a superhero world. It makes him more believable because he's less susceptible to plot armor too, because he is not a fantastical superpowered individual. He's just a man with flaws trying to be better. And sometimes 
things don't go so good for him because of that, you know, and it actually feels like just like a real character in a dramatic story. And then you you pull back and you're like, oh yeah, he's a, he's a Marvel superhero. I say in quotes, sort of. Yeah. And I love that. It's, it's the Peter Parker thing that I love so much amped up. 100%. It's, it's adult Peter Parker. Right. He's an every person. And speaking of that, I mean, let's just get right into the MCU discussion here. This leads us into why he was not a great candidate for being introduced into the Avengers, into that big first wave. We didn't have many dark heroes. That's true. Yeah. And we had a lot of fun movies too, right? Mm -hmm. You would make a fun movie. Maybe early iterations of Daredevil, but the Daredevil we know and love today, no way, man. And it's a real shame that the Daredevil Netflix series, for its flaws, I think it was pretty good. It was ambitious. Very good, yeah. You know, if if they would have known that Disney Plus was on the way and that The Mandalorian was going to open all these doors, right. I think maybe I think maybe we would have seen something different, but or maybe nothing at all. I mean, all in all, pretty good. Yeah, Charlie Cox played Daredevil and Matt Murdock in the Daredevil Netflix series, which we highly recommend watching. It is 2015 to 2018, three seasons, exceptional work by everyone in the show, and you know, mainly the writing is really good. And most importantly, yeah. Chris, they nail Matt Murdock. They nail his conflict. They nail his faith. They nail, like you said, him beating criminals almost to death and then pulling back. They nail his relationships with Foggy and Karen Page, and then eventually later Kingpin and Punisher, and even some elements of Bullseye. And they kind of nail his day-to-day in the courtroom, though I want to see more of it in the show. Yeah, and I'd like to see it. I'd, I'd like to see it get that, you know, Marvel Studios treatment. Which is probably what we're getting with She-Hulk. Yes, which I am beyond excited for. And does Daredevil show up there? Right. Who knows? The casting was incredible. It was. For the most part, I could do without Foggy. I know you don't like him. That actor has just, I'm just not a fan. <laughs> Everyone else, as far as the major recurring mm-hmm. characters, were really good. It's an exceptional watch. I think you hit the nail on the on the head. The writing in some of the main acting performances are, are, are really the strength of the show. That's why you're there. That's why you're there. There are some incredible action pieces, some examples of some incredible cinematography in there. It's not quite how you want to see Daredevil portrayed on on screen. Very low budget compared to anything in the MCU. It's very obvious, but they still stretch that budget and they do super long shots sometimes with these scenes where Matt's fighting. And I'm like, this is incredible because like, this is a long fight scene. Some of the directing is, is really great. It's really good. And obviously like we've got all the Daredevil notes are there, right? So that's the biggest thing. But yeah, it's, it's highly recommended. I'm really looking forward to when they actually bring Daredevil in the MCU if they actually bring Charlie Cox back, I really think they should. He's plenty young, so they can bring him back at any point in the future. It's fine. Listeners, take note here that to listen to our Loki season wrap-up when that happens soon, because we will be spinning off into that kind of thing. We definitely will. You know, I really would like to see Daredevil working with Spider-Man in particular, so that's something that's on my current MCU bucket list. But time will tell. I'm going to be patient. I think a lot of doors have been open now with the Disney Plus shows, and I have high hopes. But Chris, we kind of summarized Matt already. We normally do a summary at the end of the section, but we, we basically did a summary earlier. Uh, I kind of went along summary spiel of why I love this character so much and why I think he's so compelling. So any other final thoughts you have on the summary before we go into comic recommendations. I love this character. I love this character and I want to learn more about this character. It's one of the Stanley greats, right? I, I don't think he had much to do with him being great. Oh, no, no. I know that. The character design's pretty great, but mm-hmm. this is a Miller. So I want to get into my comic recommendations and I'm going to recommend specifically that you guys read Daredevil Yellow. Right. Came out in 2001, ran through 2002, uh, six issue miniseries. The other thing I really, really would love for you to read is Daredevil, The Man Without Fear. These 11 issues of Daredevil are going to really, really give you an understanding of the fabric of Matt Murdock. And really, you're just going to love playing him on the tabletop that much more. All right, Chris, we couldn't ask for any better recommendations than that. So it's time to get over to strategy. All right, so we're going to cover Daredevil and Marvel Crisis Protocol. So his name is Daredevil, and his alter ego is Matt Murdock. He is a threat for character. On his healthy side, he has a stamina of five, a move of long, and a height of two. 
His defenses are three physical, three energy, and three mystic. And on his injured side, his stamina goes up to six, giving him a total of 11. Chris, what stands out to you immediately about Matt Murdock as a four threat with these stats? Four threats are hard. They are. You know, he's got a long move. That is a big deal. He can get around. I like him. The defenses are a little low. The health's a little low. It's not too bad, though. Maybe I just expect more from fours than I should, which is entirely what is probably the case here. We've talked about this podcast a lot, Chris, and I'll continue to say it for new listeners and old. The threes and fours are the workhorses of MCP. They do make the backbone of the entire game. You kind of are building most of your list off of threes and fours, and then kind of you're sprinkling in other threats on top of that. What's interesting about Matt is his defenses are kind of low for a four. You know, we've done characters recently, like you and I talked about in our June news wrap up lizard, who's a three threat and his physical defense is four, right? So Matt being three seems low. He's obviously going to have some tricks here in a minute, but I think the biggest thing, Chris, is any model over 10 health is very good because when you get into that six and seven stamina range and potentially even higher, who knows, Stormama is coming, you can't really kill them with one activation. So that's a big deal. So it's like if Matt's on his backside, it's six, not seven, but it's six. It's very unlikely he's going to be killed in one enemy character activation. Five's kind of that threshold where it's like you could potentially be killed, right? But when you get in that six, seven, eight or higher, probably not going to be killed. And that's actually really powerful. We know in MCP, because now you just got a bunch of power, right? And you survived an attack. So Matt being 11, it makes him pretty hardy. I would prefer 12 or something, but you know, this is Daredevil. I mean, lore wise, it makes sense. You know, one of the things that's always struck me about this character is just from a design standpoint, Mm -hmm. design meeting lore, I'm surprised they made him a four threat. Interesting. I think he can tangle with Black Panther. Let's be real. I think he can. I guess hand-to-hand, you're right. And that's kind of the way I look at this. And you're going to see in a minute why I think Matt's four. We're going to get into his attacks. So he has three attacks. So let's start with his first attack. It's strike. We've heard this before. It's a range two, five strength, zero power cost, physical attack. After this attack is resolved, Matt gains power equals to the damage dealt. And he has a wild trigger of stun. After the attack is resolved, the target character gains the stun special condition. Of course, that's the condition. If you have a stun token, when enemy characters deal damage to you, you can only gain one power. It's capped out at one power. Say they dealt four damage to you, you normally get four power. It's one of the built-in catch-up mechanics of MCP. So if Matt's given out a lot of stuns, he can actually slow down the enemy team's power generation. But Chris, a five strength strike we know is good. It's a good baseline for a strike. And having a wild trigger at all is good. Range two, little scary. Melee, man. So let's move on to his next attack. It is Baton Hook. It's a physical attack. Range four this time. Strength of four, power cost of zero. This attack ignores line of sight, and the defending character does not benefit from cover. On a wild, you will trigger push. If the target character is size two or less, it may be pushed towards this character short. Not bad. It's a cap shield throw with a different trigger. That's exactly what it is. Instead of that ricochet, he gets a push, which is arguably stronger. The ricochet is fun, though, right? It's just fun. Dealing damage. Oh, yeah. It's super fun. Like I said, killing that rocket unexpectedly is a nice twist. Mm -hmm. But this is stronger, Chris. What's difficult is, once again, it's only four dice, but it is range four. So kind of like how I talked about last episode with our June news roundup, why I think Lizard's going to be really great. That four dice tail whip is never going to be super exciting at range three. But when Lizard gets that push off the tail whip, that's very exciting. Matt's is just a better version of that. It's a range four tail whip. It's a baton hook. And then he pushes them short. What's interesting is they have to be pushed towards Matt thematically. So not away like Lizard's. But once again, this is right in line with all of our wonderful web warriors, the Gwens, Miles, Peters of the world. This is a lot of disruption. And you're going to see this going forward with Daredevil. He's a great fit on teams with Miles, Gwen, and Peter because they like to disrupt people and move them around. And turns out Matt can do that a little bit. Makes sense lore-wise as well, as Matt is good friends with old Pete. Absolutely. Sort of. 
And moving on to his last attack, Chris, he has Devil's Deliverance. It's also a physical attack, and it's his last one. The range on it is a two, and the strength on it is two. Costs five power. This attack adds two dice to each of its attack rolls for each non-dazed. So that means a character who's not considered invisible, because we know dazed characters are kind of invisible for the round. So characters that are around Matt that are not dazed, within two of Matt when the attack is chosen. After this attack is resolved... The target character attacked is pushed away from this character short. So let me break this down a little bit simpler, Chris. So this is two dice no matter what. But if you're attacking another enemy character, let's just say you're attacking one character, it's four dice because you're adding two dice. Now, if Matt gets in the middle, this is A2. So this is range two, everyone around Matt. You just count all the characters that are in A2, and then you add two dice for each character. So this is one of the most daredevil things we've ever seen. If Matt gets in the middle of three or four characters... He's adding their number times two to this dice attack, essentially. So if he gets in the middle of three characters, he's adding six dice to this two dice attack. It's now eight dice, and he's going to punch each one of them eight dice. But Chris, the most important part of this is forget how many dice you're getting. No matter what, I know this costs five, but no matter what, you're going to push every character short away from Matt. So this is a Matt goes at the end of a round and guarantees pushes and maybe guarantees a lot of damage too. But he's going to win that point if you play this right. Oh, yeah. Don't give him an opening in the middle of your little circle of players, you know? Devil's Deliverance is one of those attacks that when you're playing against it, you need to be aware of it. You need to know that it's there. You need to know how much it costs. And you need to make sure not to set up good opportunities to use it. Absolutely. And it's obviously really expensive, Chris. We've talked many times when you get in that four power cost or higher, it gets very pricey. But I think Matt's going to be striking a lot and hopefully generating a lot of power. And we're going to move on to his first superpower for that very thing. Man without fear. And after we read both of his incarnations of the superpower, I want to talk about how clever the naming was. Oh, yeah. But it is a reactive superpower. It will cost you two power. After an attack targeting Daredevil is resolved, Daredevil may use this superpower. If the attacker is within range two of Daredevil, Daredevil may make a strike targeting it. So if he gets targeted by an attack, he pays two, he gets to attack back as long as they're within melee range. And he probably gets two back, right? He's he's rolling five dice. Hopefully he gets a little bit of power back because it is a strike. Maybe one or two power back. Maybe three if he spikes big time. But also maybe a stun. <laughs> yes. I was going to say, but most importantly, out of activation attacks. So cool. Do you want to attack Matt when it's not his turn because he's just going to get free strikes if he's got power? It's it's really great. Closing out his healthy side, he has two innate superpowers. The first one is Radar Sense. When defending against physical or energy attacks, Daredevil adds blanks in his defense rolls to his successes. So that 3-3-3 three, three, three defense is a little bit misleading, though this does not apply to Mystic for Matt. But when Matt's rolling physical and energy defense, he counts blanks as blocks, essentially. So it's like Black Panther. It's like Captain America. It's very powerful. I love it. It's a big deal because it really makes the results on his physical and energy defense dice different from other characters. It's that thing we talked about with why Scarlet Witch is so good now, because she has a result on her die that no one else can use, right? So she's changing the makeup of the die to be more positive for her. And Matt's the same way on defense. The dice just benefit him more on defense and kind of actually bring into balance, Chris, the mechanic of MCP, which is where we know the attack dice are always better than defense dice. And Matt's kind of bringing up his defense dice almost right to that level with the attack dice and that's pretty cool well it makes a ton of sense lore wise i mean he's a tough guy always gets up he's the man without fear he's not scared of dying here well those other senses right are just amplifying his defensive stature absolutely he's got no defense against these super powerful or you know mind-based mystic attacks very cool very well well done but also makes him pretty tanky it does so now we're looking at a control piece with a pretty tanky mechanic and if i'm not mistaken a a2 that could potentially be a ton of dice and just automatic scoring push people off yeah pretty cool well we're starting to see why he's costing four quite the mix chris of black panther 
in Spider-Man. And I really like that. He's control Panther. Yeah. And closing out his healthy side, his last innate superpower is wall crawler. So Chris, we have no fears now of him being a long mover because he ignores the terrain as well. So he can get whatever he wants. It's a good thing. He's very fast. Terrain's never going to slow him down. You know, having a long mover like Baron Zemo is one thing, but having a long mover who has wall crawler is just next level. It's great. It's the ultimate movement, really. So we do got to touch on Matt's injured side because this hasn't happened on our show in a long time. And I'm eagerly looking forward to our Green Goblin episode where, you know, we just do a whole new strategy section on his back. Matt, he has two changes, but namely one big change. The first change I already mentioned his stamina goes up to six. So on his back, he really is a lot tankier. He keeps radar sense. So he's nothing changes there. He keeps all his attacks. Nothing changes there. Man without fear is gone now, Chris. It's gone. So he can't react and fight people back out of his activation, but he has a new superpower that he can do on his turn. It's an active superpower called the devil of hell's kitchen. It costs two power exactly the same price man without fear costs. It reads like this. Daredevil may immediately perform an attack with a power cost of zero against an enemy character within two. After the attack is resolved, if the attack roll contains any skull results, so critical failures, Daredevil suffers one damage. This superpower can be used only once per turn. So Chris, this gets around only two attack actions in the game. because Matt's pushing it to the limit like we talked about. He's really pushing it to the limit. He's getting that third attack in. And he's potentially harming himself in the process. It's awesome. He could baton hook twice and stun somebody. He could baton hook, pull someone into his A2 range, Devil's Deliverance, and then just potentially just strike someone with this Devil of Health's Kitchen and finish him off, you know, and have some power for a future turn. There's a lot of versatility here. This is what makes him hard to play, Chris, because you've got to use Man Without Fear on his front side really well, and you've got to use Devil of Health's Kitchen on his backside really well. And we're going to see a theme with this. You always want two power on Daredevil if you can. Always. Always to do these powers. Yeah, makes sense. Wow. And, you know, what is the harm late game to do this as much as possible? Because we know there's only one skull on the die. And you're rolling five dice with the strike from this Devil of Hell's Kitchen. So you can kind of do the math of what health Matt has. You know what I mean? Right. And not to mention, like, if you miss an opportunity to use it or don't do it because you're scared of losing a health, you're probably going to get rocked by Thanos next turn anyway, man. Well, here's what's cool. It says after the attack is resolved. So like after all the attack has gone on the enemy, then the skulls hit Matt. So like Matt could kill someone and then he dies. He just bleeds out, which is very thematic too. But like he did his job. He did the daredevil thing. He pushed it to the limit. He held on to the last minute. He never gave up and just kept fighting. And he breaks one of the basic rules of the game where you can only perform two actions that take the action ability on your turn. And he's kind of getting around that by saying, well, I can take a free attack action whenever I want. And here's what's cool about this, Chris, too. You can use this in a more objective-based way. You could just double move Matt and then free attack. You know what I mean? Like, There's a lot of ways where it's like he's getting around a mechanic in the game. They added something like this recently to Star Wars Legion with Darth Maul, and I love it. It's like when Darth Maul is hurt, he gets an extra action, you know, because he's fueled by anger. Matt's the same way. When Matt's hurt on his injured side, he now gets another action every turn, no matter what. He gets a strike if he has two power. Do you want to let him move, strike, strike every turn? Do you want to let him move, move, strike? Do you want to let him, like I said, baton hook twice and then strike every turn? Like you've got some questions you're posing to your opponent, and that's really great. So we've got to move on to... (sighs) One of our favorite parts of the show, Chris, a couple places you can play Matt in the game because he is a tough character, right? Like four threats are a tough spot. There's so many fours. There's so many threes. You got to find places for him, right? You got to find places. As a matter of fact, we have to because I have yet to get to play Daredevil on the tabletop and we're just going to go ahead and pick my affiliation for my next team right here. Let's start off with Matt's affiliated teams and maybe you can make a decision. So. Matt is affiliated with the Defenders. He's also affiliated with the Web Warriors, two of my favorite teams. What's crazy about the Defenders, Chris, if he spends a power, he can use Doctor Strange's Mystic Empowerment. He can change any of these attack types to Energy or Mystic if he wants to. A giant Mystic A2 could be really fun. Yes, sir. Keep in mind, if the attack deals damage, Matt's also giving them Hex. 
So potentially if he's striking them, he can give them stun and hex. A lot of conditions on Strange's team. He's a great addition to the defenders, and I think he's uh, probably one of the first fours you should take on defenders, period. But let's get into one of my favorite teams, the Web Warriors. Matt fits on this team really well. The Web Warriors get to re-roll one defensive dice every defense roll attack, so they get just one re-roll on their defenses. Matt turns out really likes that when he treats blanks as positive results so you're looking for blanks or shields on his dice so you're going to reroll what you don't like also when the web warriors are contesting or holding objectives they can even reroll skulls so they get around that basic rule in the game that really hurts them makes matt even more tanky and also he kind of fits their game plan chris of pushing and pulling people off objectives and moving around the map in a flighty way with long movement and wall crawler and all these things. And then just giving him extra defense dice in a way because you're giving a reroll on all of his defense, right? So, I mean, he's getting better. And that even applies to his mystic dice, which is obviously his worst because he doesn't count blanks, but he gets a web warrior reroll on that too. So he's just better on their team. A little bit more exciting in the defenders because he's potentially turning these attacks into just big, like, oh, I'm going to punch Venom with an energy attack right? It just really hurt Venom, right? Or something like that. Mm-hmm. Now, there's so many teams in the game now, right, Chris? And we've talked about this. We can't go over every team in the game. This isn't a Rogue Agent episode. We can talk, touch on a couple basics. Oh, we can touch on a couple. So I said you want to be doing Man Without Fear, Devils of Hell Kitchen every chance you can. <laughs> so we're going to return <laughs> you, to the same you thing always... what we do every time. <laughs> Every episode. <laughs> I mean, there is a core set in this game, right? And it's a core set for a reason. That makes a great Avenger. Sometimes people like look at characters and they're like, I want a character with a million superpowers and those are my Avenger characters. But sometimes you just got to think, what does a character want to do every turn? And Matt wants to do Man Without Fear and Devil of Hell's Kitchen every chance he can. It costs two. Reduce it down to one. Well, guess what? He's doing it every turn because the power phase guarantees one power. And then obviously if characters are attacking him, he's gaining more power. He's doing it more. So he's a great Avenger. He's also not a terrible Cabal member, Chris, because he does pretty decent damage. And when he gets damage through, he gets more power, continues to feed his Man Without Fear, Devil of Hell's Kitchen. Makes sense. You know, he's probably got some new places in the game that aren't bad for him. I'm sure there are quite a few. To me, he seems like, like I was saying, he's Control Panther. I mean, (laughs) X-Men. Come on. Exactly. Cover, give him extra movement with Storm's Leapfrog. 100%. It's just so good for him. I really feel like you could almost sub him in. Mm -hmm. I mean, not flawlessly, but if if you play Panther somewhere and you want to try a more control approach to that team, just sub in Daredevil and you're there. He's like Panther in expert mode. I will say that, you know, and that's that's not a bad thing. I think it's a good thing for the game. No, no, it's very good for Panther's kind of always going to work. He's always going to give you consistency and all these things. And Matt's got these big swings up and down. And, uh, you know, that makes it more interesting to me. And I like that. I really like that a lot. You know, I think he's a fine addition on other teams like the X-Force where he gets to reroll attack dice. That's good for him. And he's probably a decent fit there. But, you know, even teams like we've talked about a lot recently, like A-Force. A-Force, there's going to be so much power late game. And you got to think about Matt being in the fray, taking a bunch of damage and passing power to the rest of his team. And being able to get that that swoop in with that long move. That's right. You know, maybe baton hooks someone over. Well, the the order always always messes up just a little bit from the perfect, perfect thing. But, I mean, late game with all that power, he can be devastating mm-hmm. if maybe a couple things go right or your opponent is backed into a corner. Also, Chris, we could play some alternate realities here. We could, you know, there's been some times where Daredevil's been bad and he's worked for Kingpin and things. And, you know, he's a pretty good criminal syndicate member. (laughs) He likes to sit somewhere and push people off stuff and hold his ground. He's led the hand before. So if we ever get a hand faction, he might be on there. That's right. No, absolutely. So. I think he fits where you want him to fit because, you know, that's the th- cool thing about four threats. They can fit wherever they want. I mean, like you see things like Asgard and you're like, oh, would Daredevil like to be healed or remove conditions? Yes, he would. Right. He just continue to do more Daredevil things. So I think really he's truly one of those characters, Chris, like a Black Panther. He can fit wherever you want him to fit. I think Web Warriors and Defenders are just strong places for him. I'm really looking forward to the new affiliations of the game. Maybe Matt slots into those places as well. But honestly, man, they're just kind of like making the game super wide now. And it's like he could fit probably on any team quite well. Like we talked about Avengers, him having one superpower and then actually working really well with them and everybody else tends to work as good or better for him. So just play him, do what you want to do with him. All right. (laughs) 
That sounds good. I think I'll put him on an X-Men team soon. There we go. I've been wanting a defender's bag anyway, and this just oh, this yeah. just might have solidified that. But we'll see. <laughs> the spider people are very enticing. It's very enticing. And I, I love that this was like a semi-retroactive change that AMG made. When the first Web Warriors cards came out, Matt was not on that. And time passed and they updated the affiliation list. And there's one day he just ended up on that list out of nowhere. And I was like, okay, that's, that's cool. That is good. It was a nice change and really unexpected. And Chris, like one of my favorite turns in the web warriors is when you play that all webbed up turn, you give all the enemies slow that are in range of the all webbed up tactics card. And then for that round, every web warrior that attacks someone who is slowed gets additional dice onto their attacks. So it's like Matt can just get in there on that round and just go that to town. That is gross. Because yeah. they're all just webbed up and he's just punching them. You know, it's easy punches. A lot. It's easy punches. <laughs> oh, man. But we'll talk more about Daredevil in the future. I'm trying to temper my excitement because he is one of the most exciting characters in the game. And he he's very nuanced, Chris. I will say, like, you see this card and you're like, okay, he's got a strike that gives people stun. That's pretty interesting he's got a baton hook that pulls people that's at range four that's pretty interesting and he's got this really powerful a2 that you only get to spend once or twice a game but then he's got these abilities where he pays two power to get extra attacks when other characters can't get extra attacks he's one of those characters like you have to play a lot of games with him to see his full potential you know it's one of those ones where it's like you send him on a side point like we do logan like we do love doing with logan so much he's gonna perform well on that side point but other games where everybody clumps up and he he comes in mid game, you know, and starts pushing everybody away and just kind of standing his ground. He's going to be even better in games like that. So it's kind of like you just got to play different teams against him and play different scenarios and really unlock his power and his honestly his excitement because when he gets in there Chris, you feel like Daredevil, you know, you're you're pulling people with the baton hook, you're pushing people away, you know, you're out of activation attacks and none of his attacks are doing much damage, right? But he's doing a lot of them and that's very thematic of the character he's busy yeah (laughs) (laughs) that's the character he's punching a lot not always doing a ton of damage and like you said not doing any bombastic superpowers but he is giving his all and he's very mobile on top of that so you've got a lot of interesting things going on with this character Fury's Finest is supported by our wonderful patrons. You can become a Fury's Finest patron by going to patreon.com slash Fury's Finest. Catch us streaming Marvel Crisis Protocol at twitch.tv slash Fury's Finest and find our show on social media. It really helps us out when you follow and we're trying to post a lot more. So check us out on Twitter at Fury's Finest Cast and Instagram and Facebook at Fury's Finest. If you have any questions, inquiries, or ideas, email us at furiesfinest at gmail.com. And thank you for leaving us Apple Podcast reviews. It really helps us out. And if you have not done so already, please leave us a review on your podcast app of choice. Thanks to Approaching Nirvana for our intro and outro music. And please help spread the word about our show. Please subscribe, grab your friends' phones, make them subscribe, make them give us five stars, make them give us reviews gunpoint if you have to gosh no i'm just kidding but it really does help guys (laughs) it does help us a lot and you know chris i will say with pride that because of our listeners like we have the most reviews of any marvel christ protocol podcast by a long shot and that is because of our listeners honestly we can't thank you guys enough and continue to do it because it helps people find tabletop content on the algorithm so like people are finding our show that might not even be mcp fans but hopefully they're mcp fans now you know they're just people perusing the gaming podcast charts you know and that's a pretty cool thing that's actually very exciting for me it's super good it's crazy it's (laughs) crazy man some of the people that find our show sometimes i'm i'm very very happy and very shocked and i can't tell you how happy i'm now chris that uh you know loki and fury are talking in our intro that i that i made on top of approaching nirvana's music because there's so much loki content right now there's so much loki content so it just really resonates i made that a really long time ago (laughs) a really long time ago You were just ready for today, man. I was just so ready for all the fun things. You can find Chris and I on social media. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Jesse Aiken. That's J-S-S-E-E-A-K-I-N. And I have a Star Wars podcast called The Canon Cantina, where we talk about all things Star Wars canon and legends. Chris, where can everyone find you? Follow me on Twitter at Chris Bruffett, C-H-R-I-S-B-R-U-F-F-E-T-T. Hop on there, ask me uh, any of those questions about what 
comics to read and stuff because it's going to take a little bit to get the master list uh, going as <laughs> I'll I'll tell you guys about it soon. <laughs> it's a lot, right? It's always a lot, man. Well, and also you can always go to Chris's Twitter. You know, Chris this is my favorite part of the show because not everyone listens to this part. So you really can say some of the things you've said, like hold your friends <laughs> hostage to give reviews. But, you know, you can go to Chris's Twitter and get all sorts of great wrestling and NBA content. Two things I'm very not versed in. NBA much more so. Wrestling, I'm not even on the map. So you'll learn a lot from Chris's Twitter for that. And I will say, Chris, this is a perfect time for our shout out. I'm going to shout out to a friend on the Discord, Kicked Out of the Hood is your name, who reached out to me and sent Chris some awesome wrestling gear and then sent me a aim lackey head for my Bob because I am making a conversion for my Bob right now. Spoiler alert. Yeah, man, I that was incredible. It's the first time anything like that's happened to me. Uh, that was super awesome. Made my week on top of uh, being back in Tulsa for that week to, uh, you know, to see, seeing family and being able to actually hang out with Jesse and play a game of MCP in person. That was that was really special, man. Like, thank you so much. Yeah, it just shows how awesome our listeners are. And I can't wait to post pictures of my Bob when he's fully done as a aim lackey or Gary from the Modoc show. That's going to be my Bob. A little bit different on the normal Bobs. But yeah, Chris, all the awesome wrestling stuff. This has been a really fun episode, Chris. We've got another exciting next character episode after this. It's a big one. A villain. I'm really looking forward to that as well. So we hope you enjoyed this episode about Daredevil. But until next time, thanks for listening, true believers. Excelsior. The world has gotten even stranger than you already know. At this point, I doubt anything would surprise me. Ten bucks says you're wrong. 